And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset can fumble the football at the end of the game. Trevor Lawrence can throw an interception in the end zone, and I'm still doing okay. You want to know why? Because the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> yes, because of the Seattle Mariners are going to the next round. I am okay. I'm doing great, actually. So, Yes, even with the uh, interesting Sunday slate of action, I was in a giddy mood all day. It doesn't matter what my bets were, what my fantasy teams were doing. did not matter. The Seattle Mariners are going to the next round. I wish I had that to lay back on. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do not. Some of our favorites did not have a great Sunday. We'll get into all of that. We're going to talk about the Jags letting us down a little bit. Talk about the Lions letting everyone down. Everyone in the chat right now is very concerned about the state of the Detroit Lions, which I totally yes. understand. They got blanked by a team led by Bailey Zappi. We're going to talk about some Zappi questionable calls that happened over the course of this game but i want to start with that sunday night game as a way to get into a kind of larger conversation about where we are as a whole watching that sunday night game thinking about those two teams thinking about the afc north in general thinking about most of the afc outside of the buffalo bills and the kansas city chiefs tomorrow is anyone good do we think anyone is good you look at the league right now a vast majority of it are stuffed somewhere between three and two and two and three Look at point differential. 
The Bills lead the league in point differential at plus 91. The Eagles are at plus 47. So are the Niners. After that, the Jacksonville Jaguars are the fifth best point differential in the NFL. They're two and three. Most of these teams are just somewhere in the middle right now. And it's hard to get that out of my mind as I watch another NFL Sunday where you're like, ah, I'm just kind of throwing my hands up because I'm not sure about any of this. Well, that's what even like when we do our pick segment, we're looking at the spreads and I'm like, really? This team's getting seven. This team's getting six and a half. This team's getting seven and a half because so many of these games, it really just feels like, all right, who's a little bit healthier and who can get off to a better start and who can adjust, which is usually how the NFL is. But usually it's like, okay, that's about 10 teams in a league and it's more like five, six good teams. Okay. Five, six bad teams. Now it feels like there's like two good teams, two bad teams. Everybody else is in the middle. So 28 teams feel about the same or maybe 27, give or take. But that's how it feels. And I mean, this tonight's game was a perfect example of it. It's just if you don't get your chances, if you don't take advantage of your one chance, even with the Bengals kicking the extra point that was technically over the upright, (laughs) like that's how it feels. Every game, it feels like it's coming down to one possession or one mistake and one choice. One choice. And yes, it's any given Sunday, but usually that's one or two games, not all the games every single week. And now we're going to hit start hitting bye weeks and that'll reset a lot of team seasons, I guess, and see who can really adjust and focus in on what works for them. But man, through five weeks, it's just, this feels tight. Everything just feels so tight where you can remember one or two plays where a team really botched it or took advantage of it. Think about what just happened in that game. The bill, the Bengals have that disastrous goal lines scenario where yeah. they run a reverse and then they try to run a shovel pass. They end up getting stuff. The Ravens yeah. then have a fourth and one where if they go for it, they can put the game away. Instead, they kick a field goal. The Bengals come out, score a touchdown, take a one point mm-hmm. lead. All of these sliding doors moments just feel so incredibly important in all these games that are so, so tight. And when you watch a lot of the league, when you watch tonight and the Bengals and the Ravens are probably solid teams, mm-hmm. but when you watch them play, and then you watch a team like Buffalo play. I think very few teams, even if we don't think the Steelers are very good, are capable of putting a beat down on someone like yeah. the Bills did today against Pittsburgh. There aren't that many teams that feel capable of trotting out that sort of firepower and being able to dominate in that fashion. And I think that's why we're seeing these tiers start to emerge where you have Buffalo and Kansas City and maybe the Eagles, even though they squeaked by today against Arizona, where they can really manage that. But everyone else probably falls somewhere in the middle. And that's the prevailing thought I have about the league in general after five weeks. And I think it feels even tighter because points are so hard to come by this year. Yes, and And so that's where – I think that's why it feels just so mucky. And just so like everything feels sticky <laughs> in the sense of the scores and then also just with how these teams like getting a first down, an important first down, like a third and four conversion, a third and nine conversion feels like such an air out, like either a sigh of relief or the defense, just the air coming out of their stomachs a little bit. And I don't know, it, it usually you can point to two or three games in, on a Sunday, but really it's just feeling like, you know, especially with all. 32 teams are playing so it's 16 games a week that feels like double digits of these games are coming down to it and i know that's what the nfl wants they want the parity they want the one score games but a lot of these are scores that are 20 to 17 they're very low scoring it's not a 38 35 barn burner i mean we did get we did get seahawks lions last week which is a lot of fun but it's it just feels like oh, a every lot game more the this. seahawks play and there's going to be 70 points scored but other than that other than that offense though. around the league tends to be depressed i mean yeah. you're looking at this game you have joe burrow and an offense that 
You know, people were excited about coming into the season. Joe Burrow was 19th in EPA per dropback tonight. Lamar Jackson was 27th. And these are offenses that can't find themselves consistently. Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of offenses around the league. I mean, you have Josh Allen being able to make three or four alien throws right. over the course of that Bills game in a pretty windy day and somehow still pushing the ball downfield like that, averaging 10 yards a play somehow. But other than that, it still feels like a slog in a ton of these games. Even these, a lot of teams that I think are stacking together wins are doing it with defense. We'll talk about yeah. the Cowboys in a little bit. You know, the Niners defense is obviously great, even though they're losing pieces now. So it just feels like a lot of these scenarios are pretty fragile outside of like two or three teams. I mean, you watch that game and it's like, do you feel good about the Bengals right now? Uh-huh. Do you feel good about the Ravens right now? Nope. I think it's hard <laughs> to feel good about either of them. And they're probably, who's the best team in that division? You could name one of three teams probably, and you could go that route in a lot of different divisions right now, and that's just kind of how it feels. Everything feels really condensed, really jumbled up, and I'm sure a couple teams will kind of shake loose Mm -hmm. at some point over the next month or so here, but for the most part, that has not happened yet. And that's what's funny is like the Browns almost feel like the cleanest team, especially on offense, and it's with Jacoby Brissett and a and defense can't that stop can't stop anybody. the run. <laughs> they they can't. can't stop anybody. And But when I watch their offense, I'm like, okay, this seems sustainable because like the Ravens is just like, hey, Lamar, go go do stuff. Like, And then the Bengals is kind of like Burrow and then hopefully get some holding penalties <laughs> on Jamar Chase or something of that sort. Like, So these – I don't know. It's just the consistency. I think that's really what it is, is everything feels very high and low for every team. There's going to be a couple teams we talked about tonight. That That's where it feels – and the AFC North is like a perfect little snapshot of that, that every team, they have so these amazing moments. Like you see Burrow throwing a dig route to T. Higgins. Oh, my God, it looks beautiful. You see Lamar doing Lamar things, throwing to Mark Andrews on the move or just creating his own stuff in the run game. It looks amazing. And then you watch several, two, three, four drives in a row. You're like, what was that? And yeah. that's crazy. There's so many teams that I watch. That it's just not even just offense, defense as well. You're like, what are you doing? And it could be injuries. It could be, but it also could just be, that's what the league is right now. It's just a lot of, no one feels complete. And people are going to knock it on like, oh, okay, it's some training camp and not being in pads. We're in week five. <laughs> like if this was week two, week three, maybe I'd say that. But we're in week five. We just start seeing these kind of images start taking shape with these teams. And it still feels like a lot of teams are trying to find their way. Offense is more consistent than defense. We know that. When the league limits elite offense and when the league lacks elite offensive units, inconsistency is going to creep in. And that's where we are right now. There just aren't really elite offenses in the NFL. If you look at it top to bottom, you've got a couple that are playing really well. But for the most part, we've been missing those. And I think that's why that inconsistency has crept up. And I think it's going to keep being that way. We've got a couple marquee games next weekend. But for the most part, it's really hard to rely on one or two teams week in and week out right now. And it's who with the two best teams that we're talking about right now, they have good defenses. Like the Chiefs defense is playing well. They're about mid-level DVOA right now. But it's really the quarterbacks are playing the best. It's Josh Allen Mahomes. And okay, that I guess it's going to be a quarterback-driven league, but you see these other teams with good quarterbacks that are kind of up and down. But I mean, Josh Allen today, he's throwing a whole shot to the field into the wind. And then he's making a free runner miss. So these mistakes that defenses are making other teams make – their room for error is just so huge that they create explosive plays when it should be a negative. So, I mean, there's even the Bills say had a field goal blocked, I believe. Terrible return to start the game. Josh Allen throws a pick in the end zone and they win by several scores. 
Like that's and that's the only team I could say in the league that I feel like can overcome that. The Chiefs had a, a special teams blemish game against the Colts a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, and they almost overcame it, but they didn't. And so it, it's kind of crazy that we're in this place that even the the teams that we consider elite any given Sunday, it, that's just kind of how it's going to feel this year. I mean, it's awesome, it's entertaining, but it's also like kind of make my lose my lose my hair because there's no narratives for me. <laughs> there's nothing that I could just latch onto. It's just going to change week to week, which is a lot of fun, but it's going to be crazy. I think weekend, weekend, week out. All right, we're going to talk about a division that actually is playing pretty well. With you have my attention, gentlemen. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. All right, we're talking about all these teams and divisions that can't win any games, and now we have an NFC East that has a 5-0 and team and two 4-1 and teams. The NFC East, you have my attention. Goodness gracious. The what only division this? where anybody can win a game. Apparently so. And like only uh, their losses are like against each other, too. It's like yes. they, they, they're just beating up on other teams, and it's not – I mean – Yes, okay, we thought the Eagles would be a solid team, but as soon as Dak went down with the Cowboys, I was like, all right, well, that was fun. Like, that was, okay, good run that you guys are going to have. And they're 4-1. and one. Like, what is this? And, of course, yeah. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the Giants in a sec as well. But, yeah, this is just this is just pretty, pretty crazy. We're not going to dig into the Eagles really tonight. They want a squeaker against Arizona. We're going to talk about that game tomorrow on the Monday Hangover with me and Deontay. If you guys want to come back and check out that conversation, I want to figure out why the Eagles struggled to move the ball a little bit. I was locked into a couple of those other games in the late slate. That includes the Cowboys and the Rams, like you just alluded to. I've talked about this a bunch of times in the last couple of weeks. I I've had the Cowboys dead in the water. After Dak got hurt, I just thought that they would fall off a little bit on defense. I didn't trust them being able to sustain who they were last year without the same turnover production. And their defense has been absolutely terrifying. And now they're four and one and they're right in the mix of this. The Rams offense was barely functional for most of that game. Outside of the one deep shot to 2-2 Atwell and the 75-yard touchdown a cup, which obviously big plays count, but play in and play out, they struggled mightily to move the ball in this game. You could just feel how kind of unsettled they were before every single play where they're just hanging on for dear life. And that's kind of what it feels like when you're playing against the Cowboys right now. I mean, this is the most, I feel like Stafford I've ever seen like create in the pocket. Like he's like spinning around and moving. He had to. It's out of necessity. Yeah. And honestly, Deontay, crushed it on on our Thursday pod and talking about why the Cowboys defense and like just the little schematic tweaks like Dan Quinn's running a lot of cover two now and and just like just understanding what his strength of the defense is but it is so cool to watch this defense and just follow honestly watching the Cowboys defense is like just follow where number 11 is and that's how that's where the creativity it might not be the the post snap stuff isn't as crazy there's not a ton of exotic stuff but where they put the guys is what pre-snap is the change up and I, I think that's what's so cool is watching this Cowboys defense is just watch where Micah Parsons is but man this Rams offense man negative juice I mean they have no they juice on this they have team. to put Tutu Atwell in there to get anything to lift the top off the defense that's the only way that they can push the ball down the field and I mean like I just looked it up too there's 43 running backs with 30 or more carries this year Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson are bottom five in adjusted yards after contact they're not creating anything with the ball. So even when they do have a nice run game and they're trying everything today, I mean, they, they, they're trying everything. The Rams were, I mean, even just like even the play action game, they're trying to just window dress it as much as they could. But oh my God, it's just, they can't hold up. They, it's Stafford. If he has to come off his first read, any quarterback that plays this Cowboys defense comes after the first read, you're 
playing with fire. It's Russian roulette. It's like, who's going to hold up? I have five guys I have to hold up against these freaks that are coming at me. And oh my God, they just, all the games are coming, that are coming at them, just everything they play, everything's so aggressive with this defense. And it's really, really fun to watch. But as a quarterback, I'm sure it's just terrifying. And I, that's how Stafford had to play today. Like all of a sudden, he had to throw like a diving catch down Robinson. It's like, that's not what, that's not how you want to create yards as an offense. They had a 47.5% pressure rate without blitzing in this game. Oh, my God. When they were bringing four. And that's how it felt. I mean, yeah. Demarcus Lawrence lined over for a guard. Dorrance Armstrong making plays while wind up inside. He's a nice player, by the way. He is. And that's – they've become this type of unit up front where the guys start coming out of the woodwork the way the Niners have been like over the last five years. The Rams defense a couple of years. Like, you know, just, just, and that's how – that's what happens when you kind of yep. build this little ecosystem – of yeah. pressure and mindset and the way that we play up front, it, the guys start to pop a little bit. You have a Dante yeah. Fowler play here and there. You have a Dorrance Armstrong or Demarcus Lawrence. Tristan Hill had a TFL today. Sam Williams had a TFL on the play before, but now you're looking at second and 18. And that's the problem is every time they started to get something going on the ground, it just got totally short-circuited. You want to know how many yards before contact the Rams averaged today on the ground? Oh, before man. contact. 0.13. yards before contact. They can't run the ball. They can't block anybody. They averaged 2.53 yards per carry over the course of the game, but even that isn't indicative of how bad it was. On those not outside of those two long plays the Rams hit in the passing game, Stafford averaged 4.48 yards per attempt. It's a product some of the Cowboys' defense being incredibly good right now, but the Rams' offense is also pretty broken. 11 QB hits today Stafford I mean he's already banged up and he's just taking all those hits somebody said that like he's gonna be on the injury report and they'll just say all like they won't even say arm <laughs> That's how it feels like, right now it'll just say all but um even like and, and the Rams okay Rams last year in the offense something we gushed about the empty stuff and and all the chip help stuff and you couldn't blitz them and all that but they would hold up anyways which I always thought was so cool is today on some of their third and longs they were locking in the running back in protection so they're basically saying not even if you blitz. So like, okay, sometimes a running back gets caught going like, if it's my guy coming and then he doesn't release on the route, they were literally just saying, you stay in there. So if somebody comes free, you help out, which is like, that means you're playing a hand down. You're playing a card down before the play even gets going because then the guys have to win down the field. You're getting one less body out in the routes. And that's kind of indicative of what the Cowboys defense is doing, but also where this Rams offense is at. They're like, we don't trust our guys to hold up. Hey, just hang in there. So that's what college teams do. That's what the, the Steelers offense does because they have a college offensive coordinator. So that's the kind of stuff that they do. They're like, screw it. We're not going to sort it out. You just hang in there and take a charge. And the fact that the Rams are doing that, who I've always thought have a good protection plan, man, that's just speaking to where they're at in this um, 2022 and week five. We're in October. It's like, oh boy, just get to the bye week and hopefully you can regroup. All you need to know about where the Cowboys are, where the Rams are, and where the NFL is, is that Cooper rushed through for 102 yards in this game, and there was never a question about who was going to win. They had 10 first downs. They had 10 first downs today. And they controlled the game the entire way <laughs> Without through. Without a doubt. It's insane. It's just <laughs> it it's crazy to watch a game like that and just never feel like the other team is threatening when your yeah. offense can barely move the ball. But that's where we are. All right. While we're on the topic of the NFC East here, the New York Giants – you have my attention. The Giants are four and one. I, we've talked about the Giants a little bit. We talked about the yeah. Giants' offense on the Thursday preview show. Here's what I will say about the Giants. Yeah, I was treating them like a fun little oddity yep. with the ways that they were moving the ball on defense, on offense, with 
the play action stuff that they were using and the wildcat and all of that. Yeah. I'm, I was legitimately impressed today. It, it went beyond some fun little oddity to the point that I was like, you know what? I, I was in, incredibly impressed with the way that they played. No Leonard Williams, Dory Jackson gets hurt at some point in the game. They have non NFL wide receivers. Daniel Jones is hurt coming into it. Saquon Barkley yeah. missed a chunk of time in this game and they still managed to beat a Packers team that we'll talk about how flawed they are. But I also want to give the Giants credit for yeah. the way that they play today and just the way that they've played over the course of the season so far. When we talked this morning, I kind of I pushed back at you real quick. I was like, what? what? No, we got to talk about how the, the Packers are just not nothing. But rewatching this game it, and watching it in the hole, that's the thing. I get caught in the moment, too, and I'm watching it live, and I'm like, oh, well, this happened and this happened. But, man, we that's the thing. With this this Giants staff, they and I'm, I'm going to talk about the players in a sec, but this staff, it's a well-regarded staff. Like yes. uh, uh, Andre Patterson as defensive line coach, Bobby Johnson, offensive line, Mike Kafka. Like they have guys, uh, Wink, a defensive coordinator. Like they have a lot of just sound minds with a lot of experience, but not gimmicky kind of guys, guys that adapt their stuff. Maybe not Wink, who loves to run man coverage, but he, but I will say about what kind of stuff that he tweaked today, but also just, I, I thought it was so cool that the head coach wanted to go. I'm not calling place. It's my first year as a head coach. I'm going to let my offensive staff handle it, which, that's a good sign. I honestly, I know that sounds kind of just minor, but that's a big deal. The fact that he has the, the, you know, Mike macro view to understand how an offensive team should be or a football team should be. But man, there's just a couple tweaks like that they did today. And I, I just want to break down the one point. I actually might break this down for wind the clock, but not final yet, but this might be the one. So Saquon's big catch on the second and 10. Uh, oh, it's on, beautiful. The fourth quarter. I love it. I, w- I absolutely wanted to talk about this. Yes. So they're in pony personnel, which is two running backs, two true tailbacks, Saquon and Matt, uh, Matt Burita. They run a concept I call Mariner, but it's really a drive type concept. So you have a crosser and then you have a guy sitting over the middle of the ball. So it's a classic West Coast concept. But the big thing is they're in, they, that's the personnel that they run their wildcat. In. And a mm-hmm. lot of rundowns, like second and 10, that's the personnel that they've been in Wildcat. And now they're shifting. Like they'll show like they're in like normal shotgun. And then they shift Daniel Jones out and they shift into Wildcat. So the, now they're adding window dressing to their Wildcat stuff, which is hilarious. But when they're in this, the Packers match with their base, three, four personnel. And because they're expecting run. Hey, they've been in this personnel. We're getting run plays. Boom, boom, boom. Nope. Saquon is a receiver on this play. And they, it's a simple play. It's a classic concept. But so now they have Saquon on the crosser. Quay Walker, who's going to be a good running back for the pa- or good linebacker for the Packers, doesn't take Saquon coming across to his side. They don't pass it off correctly, and that's why he pops. And you out can the hear side. Campbell. You saw Campbell pointing. Go. He's like, "You, you got him. You got him." You got him. And the, I, what I was impressed by was the timing and the spacing. Yep. Bellinger sitting where he does. Walker doesn't really have a choice. It's nope. like it's you're you're playing with what is his instincts. It's like I have He's a no to man's be here. Yes, yep. he's and it's the way that it was spaced out and timed out was perfect because you can understand he's supposed to pass it off, but yep. Bellinger sits right in front of Walker, and yep. it's really difficult to just not pay attention to that guy in right. that situation. So it was yep. beautiful. I mean, it just they create a chunk out of nothing, out uh, of nothing, and I mean that just speaks to them. I mean, just their offense, and we joked about on the Thursday show. It's a little bit of gum and toothpicks where they're just like, hey, any means possible that we can get these yards. A lot of screens on third down, bootlegs on base down. They do the under center run game really well. The QB draw game, like Daniel Jones is, I'm making the joke, I'm calling him Grand from uh, Lord of the Rings, which is just the battering ram, just the wolf battering ram. That's what Daniel <laughs> Jones is sometimes, but it works like because yes. they dress, they don't make it so, like every time the Cardinals are in second and extra long, they run a QB draw or running back draw stick. 
And it's almost like I could tell you as soon as a three by one second along, I could tell you this play is coming. You watch the Giants do these quarterback draw games. Everything, it's a little tweak. It's a different formation, different motion on it. So they're just window dressing it enough so you can't just tee off on it. Oh, it's third and four. Here comes QB draw. That's why the Packers had to honor it. And that that's just coaching. That just really is. It's design. And I yeah, I want to give credit, credit to their staff because they're making the most of what they have. And that's really fun to watch, when, especially in a game like this. Daniel Jones made like three or four like real throws today. I mean, there was a couple. He was very good when blitzed today. Every single time they sent pressure after him, he was really, really good. I'm trying to find the numbers right now, but he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league when blitzed today. So Man. second best that's EPA. Been, that's been one of his worst things. Yep. Like is it gets pressure because he holds on to the ball so long. So that yeah. Second again, best EPA in, of the week when blitzed. Thirty. He was blitzed on 38.7 percent of his dropbacks. Ten of 12 for 133 yards and six first downs. He did a really good job. There was that one mesh play where he hit his strike to Slayton with pressure yep. in his face. Right after that, he had another just bullet over the middle of the field off play action. He made like four or five throws, and the rest of their offense was built out of bootlegs and movement. Mm-hmm. And you can just see teams start to get affected by it. There was one play late in the game where he's rolling out on a bootleg, and Campbell doesn't know what to do. Because it's yep. like, I have to honor this, but then a crosser snuck in behind him, and it's chunk gain for a first down. It all fits together in a way that actually doesn't make sense. The one big run that Saquon had on in the Wildcat, they were in an mm-hmm. unbalanced formation. So they have so many bodies to the right side, and then they run a little pin pull to the left because they have a numbers advantage. And then down near the goal line, they're in an unbalanced formation again except they're running it the other way with a different run design. It's like it all is tied together. And what's cool to me is that when you watch this offense, it looks nothing like the Bills or the Chiefs look. Nope. And that's why I'm so encouraged about that. My takeaway here from the Bills, from the Giants side of this, the Giants could go three and eight the rest of the season. They're super limited, right? With what this is going to have to be based on the receiving talent that they have. Their quarterback has his own limitations. There's a reason they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. But if I'm a Giants fan and I'm watching what they're doing right now, it makes me incredibly excited for what next year is going to look like. It reminds me of what it was like watching the Eagles last year. Where it's like, all right, what are you going to do with this? You're showing an open-mindedness, a flexibility where it's like, this is how we have to win. Let's build it out of this. We're not coming from this one particular place. We're not taking a playbook from the place that we just left as the offensive coordinator, making a ton of copies of it and saying, this is what we're going to do here. They're doing what they need to do to put their guys in the right positions. And then on defense, like you got something named McLeod making plays in man coverage at the end of the game. I mean, there's so many guys out, so many guys you can't even name on that side of the ball, yeah. and they're preventing the Packers from moving it consistently. I think they deserve a lot of credit for getting the most out of the players that they have. The players that they have aren't very good, and I think we will see that over the long run, but yeah. they have maximized the talent on this roster in pretty much every way imaginable. I mean, even in just speaking about knowing situations, and that comes down to coaching as well, and just smart players and understanding that. But I mean, the last play of the game, uh, uh, the last drive for the Packers was they bad the ball down. The Giants bad the ball down, and that is okay. The Packers, the Packers offense is so funny. So much jet motion. Oh my god, it's just every play has jet motion on it. Doesn't matter. There's no tell to it because there's a jet motion on every single play. But they're running so much quick game and so much get the ball out. And okay, they've been. Getting them all game with this. A lot of horizontal stuff. Getting them quick game, quick game, quick game. Especially down near the red zone. Quick game, quick game, quick game. What does the, the Giants defensive line do? Get their hands up. 
Yeah. Okay, we're not going to get to the run. Hey, it's fourth and two. Hey, a lot of guys on those those types of situations, my ears are pinned back. I want to make a big play and you'll be the hero. No, those guys got their hands up and they got the batted ball down. And that's just speaking to awareness. And that has to be probably pounded by Patterson, the defensive line coach, just going and wink the defensive coordinator and going like, hey, know the situation. So again, that just comes down to coaching. It, it's really cool. I want to talk about one more offensive play. And it was when they were backed up. Um, it was kind of, it was a front, front side naked, which is kind of a oxymoron, but it's when you see actually a lot more right now, but, um, it, so you'll see the quarterback kind of reverse pivot. He fakes it. And then the running back will run to the flat towards yeah. the side that the quarterback's booting to. So, uh, I think it was Brito was out to the flat on this one. It was, it was the play right after Saquon got hurt. Yes. So, yeah. so they do a jet motion on it. And what was cool about this, it was the Vikings ran a similar look against the Packers in week one, but it was in the red zone. And it was the one that uh, Jefferson scored a touchdown on, but it was kind of, the, it was the same action, but it was Jefferson on the jet, come the front side. I'm getting too much into it, but anyways, <laughs> but they do the front side naked motion on this, but what they were attacking was the Packers communication skills, especially their defensive backs. If you notice the theme here, there's so many times that the Giants took advantage of the Packers communicating. This was a perfect instance of it. They give the fake. Uh, Eric Stokes is going to Campbell and going like, hey, he's looking to pass it. But then all of a sudden they got the flat coming towards back, back towards him. But then they don't know how to pass it off because it's just that extra second of consternation. But again, it was a backed up situation rather than just going, oh, we're going to Remember last year, Joe Judge just taking a knee, basically, or QB snaking backed up? No, they're attacking. They're going with a front side naked towards their defense, which I thought was awesome. But it was, again, they now we're getting to week five and week six and week seven. Film is out there. That is your resume. So you start seeing what good coaching staffs, what tweaks they do about what other teams did against these defenses and offenses. And the Giants so far are showing that they know how to tweak their stuff, which is it's awesome. It really is. Yeah, and then on that same drive, they had a third and four, and they motioned Brita back into the backfield. They got a man zone tell, and then they hit Bellinger on just like right over the middle of the field. Yep. And just like little tiny things like that. The other thing, game management, them calling time, they didn't need it because they ended up stopping on fourth down. <laughs> yeah, right. But calling a timeout with like a minute and 11 seconds left to make sure that, like, all right, we're going to give ourselves a little bit of time doing that. There was a play that didn't end up working out, but it was like a, four, it was like a third and eight. And they ran a quarterback draw on third and eight because they know they're going for it on fourth and anything less than four. So just every decision fits together. And again, I think over time it's going to be a concern because of the lack of personnel that they have. But I'm talking about Nick McLeod making a play today on the in-man coverage on Randall Cobb in a big moment. Uh, Fabian Moreau had that huge, (laughs) huge pass breakup against Alan Lazard. In the in the fourth quarter, it's just these guys we've never heard of before. I will say the one guy I think in their secondary, McKinney, I think is also is going to be a good player. But Darnay Holmes seems like he's got some like real juice to him. That play where they broke it up on the second to last play of the game for Cobb, yeah. where it was tipped at the line of scrimmage, he actually had that. They were trying to pick on him in that moment, and I think he would have broken it up anyway. So he's somebody that watching him, it's like, that guy might have something to him. But other than that, this is a secondary that will probably look vastly different next year than it does right now. So let's talk about the other side of this. We're impressed with what the Giants have done. This game leaves me pretty concerned about the state of the Packers offense and where this can go because, I don't know, this just feels like a passing game that, lacks juice lacks real talent out there and i mean you you talked about it aaron Rodgers could not push the ball down the field today in any way he was four of 11 on throws of more than 10 air yards and that's what it feels like it just feels like they can't find anything going in that area of the game right now 
dude, their whole offense is like like package plays, like flats and and, and yeah. you know like bubbles and. Oh my God, it's just over and over and over. Like the best thing they do is the little split back play action they do where they hit the little glance, you know, um, quick hitter in, in breakers, which is something which is hilarious because uh, Rodgers used to crush teams in like 2012 with that. So it's funny how like we're long, <laughs> 10 years later, we're getting back to the same schemes. But I mean, like after the sequence, the Giants had a long drive. It was the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, you could see Rodgers on the sideline just getting cranky. I'll, I'll say cranky. Uh, and, Cranky's a good but, way to put it. Yeah. Justice Muscada had a great – he texted me and he just goes, I guarantee you, first play, he's going to throw it deep. He 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 goes, I, I I could tell you right away. Sure enough, Rogers throw it was in. It's the emotional <laughs> blitz, but it's the emotional shot play. It was the emotional shot play. That's exactly yeah. what it was. I was trying to think of the best way like to say. I was going to say performative, but yeah, I think I think I think emotional shot play. That's exactly what it was because it was first down. He should not be throwing that, and he's throwing deep to Lazard. I, I like Lazard. He's a great role player, but you're not throwing deep to Lazard. Like that's not that's not like one, two, or three on your like favorite plays. You're dialing up. Then on third down, that safe drive because they go three and out. They run 989, so which is two verticals on the outside and a read route in the middle. They block it, block it up. Rodgers the whole way just launches it to Lazard late. So that's why it was short. And also Lazard, again, you don't want him on a vertical route. And it's just one of those words. What is this offense? I mean, uh, the, the heat map looked like a smiley face. And I was trying to find the Krieger quote from Archer where he's like, you know, you drop off the body parts and it looks like a, it's going to look like a smiley <laughs> face. And I was trying to find that quote because <laughs> I knew you like that because that's exactly what it felt like. And I mean, okay, if you go against zone, okay, Rogers can find those spots, but who's beating man for this team? That's Randall- against this team. When you have a man heavy team, the way that the giants are yeah. and you got Nick McLeod out there and Fabian Moreau out <laughs> See, that's there. Like, McLeod's McLeod's going to be your guy now. You're going to well, remember his name forever. I'm not trying to shit on these guys, but like these are guys that were waiver and, claims. They're street-free yes. agents. They're, they're yep. people that are barely hanging out to the edge of NFL rosters, and they're getting gloved up in man coverage by this team. Yep. That is really scary. Yep. Yes. I mean, you don't. The fact that Randall Cobb in the slot is still your best option against man is just like, woof. And then like Dobbs is doing flashing and, but like, it's that, that's all like vertical stuff. Like he's not a great route runner yet. So like, that's also a thing. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very hard offense. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tight offense because the run game is good. And yes, those package plays work for six, seven yard gains, but where are the 15 to 20 yard chucks coming? Because I mean, honestly, you're playing against the Giants, which you should have a talent advantage against. And you're making it look hard. So now imagine when you're going against the bonafide teams, like, you know, like that's, that's going to be a rough, rough slate. And that's how it feels like. I, I mean, yeah, it's just this offense is just like, I, I say gum and toothpicks with the Giants, but that's how it feels with this Packers offense at times. Like, it's just like, we're doing anything we can to window dress it and make it work. And that's, you know, that's not what we're usually used to with this type of offense. I also want to talk about the Packers defense a little bit. We talked about it last week, maybe a couple weeks ago, how they've just left me a little bit cold watching them. That's how I feel today. Like yep. this was supposed to be one of the better defenses in the entire league. And they've been really yep. good against the pass for the most part this year. But the Giants move the ball pretty consistently in this mm-hmm. game. And that just shouldn't happen. When you've spent as much as you have on that unit, especially in the front seven, all of the resources that they've pumped into it, and they just don't seem to be making any progress on that side of the ball. And this is the sort of performance where it's like, you were supposed to be able to carry the right. team and, 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 and off you're supposed to carry the offense as the offense. This was supposed to be a 2013 game. 
This yes. was supposed to be a 20 yes. to 13 game. And you were supposed to be able they... to win 20 to 13 games this season based yep. on the way that this team had been built. And yep. for them to lose a game like this and for the Giants to move the ball that they did the way that they did in the second half is extremely frustrating. Yeah. Where are the big plays? Like that's this whole team, yeah. offense and defense. But where are the big plays? The explosives for a defense or the TFLs, the sacks, the turnovers. And it just feels like they're lacking on it. They just like it's kind of funny how they're kind of mirror identities of each other the offense and the defense it's just a it's more efficient than explosive which is but that's hard i mean that's a that's a hard way to live and i mean just the over and post con- concepts that i mean the giants hit them with a couple of them today where they're just run the over and post so like a lot of play action heavy concepts even on the bootlegs and you can see some miscommunications happening with this packers defense and it's like man the vikings shredded you guys with that week one and we're in week five and the giants are doing it against you Oof, that's a that's a little it's just dicey and it's just not what i was expecting i thought this this defense would really take a big leap forward this year and they haven't they absolutely have not nope. and i think that's a really big concern because the offense continues to lag all right we're gonna take Our first break here, when we get back, we're going to talk about a team that we just cannot figure out even five games into the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What are you? I'm so happy I made it. <laughs> That's all you. It's Charlie from Always Sunny. I appreciate you throwing that out there because we're going to ask that about the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. The Vikings are 4-1 and one right now. And even going back and rewatching that game today, I have no idea what the Vikings are. Are the Vikings no. good? No clue. I have no They're good for like... Like, if you watch, like, a, they have, like, the best six minutes of, like, anybody. Like, they have a tight 10. You know, like a stand-up comedian. <laughs> like, they have a tight 10 that they could do every game. But I don't know how if they could do a whole special. Like, I don't know if they can last an hour, an hour and a half. Because there are some times where I'm like, man, this offense looks freaking awesome. Like, their opening script looks awesome. They come out of the half, like, against the Lions. And they, they adjust how their run game is going to go. Because, like, they realize that the Lions are double-teaming Jefferson. So, they do this, this, and this. And then... Then like cousins becomes cousins, turns into a pumpkin or just like they looks lethargic. A guy trips over himself. The, the old line can't hold up. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's a long winded way to say winded way, winded way to say I have no idea because at times their highs are really good. But at times it's like, oh, boy, what, what are you guys doing over there? Watching their offense move the ball as consistently as it did. I think cousins started the game 17 for 17 today. <laughs> I, 17 I expect I expected to watch it and kind of be wowed, but he was seventh in EPA per dropback over the course of the day. I, I watched it and I expected to be wowed by some of the things that they were doing. They were yeah. really picking on Jalen Jones. 
the yeah. rookie free agent that the Bears had playing corner with Jalen Johnson out. Everywhere he was, they were picking on him. And he was tons of cushion against Jefferson. Just easy, easy completions. So yeah. you're watching that. It's like, okay. Like, there's nothing really special going on here where it's like, all right, against better teams, this is going to work. So I wasn't that impressed with what they did offensively because that was the majority of the game plan. And then you have that one Kirk Cousins moment and with that pick, which is really well played by Vin, by Vildor. It was. He's, he's reading that perfectly. I mean, it's just yep. because he's sitting there and he, I think it's, he's in cover two and it's Ham going to the flat. And so Cousins wants the deeper shot and Vildor is just, playing right in between them. He, If he had taken the flat, it was wide open. He absolutely mm-hmm. could have had it. And he forces it, and it's not there, so you have that. And it's just, you watch him, it's like, I just don't know how consistently great they're going to be offensively because the quarterback is just meh. He's always going yeah. to be meh. That's like what he is. And the offensive line had some pretty weird moments today. Like, Travis Gibson got the most of Brian O'Neill two or three times in this game. So they have a little bit of inconsistency up there, and the quarterback play is always going to be somewhere around the middle. I just don't know what to make of them. I agree. It's 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 funny. Like even in this game, like when the picture, we we laugh about it. Like that's why coaches love Kirk Cousins because on the board he's amazing, and and he's going to tell you he knows exactly what every read is. He knows exactly what this this and this is one to two to three. But like even in this game, and the Bears aren't a team that's very exotic on defense. They're more you don't like say. Hey, we're going <laughs> to. Let's set it and forget it. I was trying to be nice, but you could see a couple snaps. Like there was a third and four in the second quarter, and and the I believe the Vikings were like in a four by one look or an overloaded look, and the Bears showed two man, and then right at the snap they went back into a Tampa two. So like they get they're showing man, showing man, and then the guy screams, and so basically it goes from a man coverage to a zone coverage, but same backward shell. Cousins literally freezes. He just sits there and just like. <laughs> He doesn't look anywhere. And I'm really curious to watch it from the end zone view, like uh, like going back and watching this game, because he just sits there and freezes and they, they get a sack. And it it's stuck. hilarious. Yeah, that was one yeah. of those that was one of those O'Neill plays where it's just like yes. he they Jones comes around on the TE and he just lets him go. And it's like, yeah. man, what what is happening here? It's, it's, and that's the thing. They, they have these highs that are just so pretty. Like there's some of the red zone designs I did in my, I wrote about it in my article was, it was really cool. And I was talking about how tendencies start to show up and the Vikings in the, especially in the low red zone are really cool when they face man coverage teams on how to pop guys open, either Jefferson on a jet sweep or Thielen against the Lions and they uh, have Jefferson on the motion and Thielen pops open on the other side because of miscommunication. But then they have other plays where it's just like, what was that? And especially and sometimes it's cousins induced like there's another one um the one where the ball gets knocked down on a third and 10 like the ball just digs into the ground cousins freezes on that one because they show single high and they rotate back to cover two now that's crazy but the fact that the offensive line and the quarterback which are as amazing as justin jefferson is that that's the battery like that's how you're going to pl- get your plays and your pretty plays going oh it's just like it's like the fact that they can't handle that. It was just an easy shift from cover three to cover two. And they freak out. Like they're like, what? What is this? And then they'll go on the next drive and they'll have like a sweet pop pass to Irv Smith. So it's like the highs are amazing with this, but then the like the, the consistency is not there, which is kind of not what you want to see for a team that maybe I thought would be more efficient with some explosives sprinkled in. I didn't think this would be such a high and low type of offense. They're 13th in EPA per play so far on offense through five games. Cousins is 18th in dropback PPA. God, Just like God, it's a Rorschach sh- test. It's like what? What do you yeah. want to see? 
from this? Do you want to see the potential? Do you want to see where they can go? Or do you want to see what has been overall middling offense so far, even though they're four and one and in a division where we're not that excited about the way the Packers are playing and right. the Lions are one and four and the Bears probably aren't going to be a very good team. So right. I mean, the, this Vikings team is cruising toward the playoffs. Whether they're good or not is an entirely different conversation. Hey, our coach of the year pick looks great. <laughs> With the, but well, also, the but, problem is uh, Brian, Brian Dable is fucking that up pretty intensely I right know, now. Right. Or Nick Sirianni. Like there's a lot of them. But no, even, um, but even like we're just talking about the offense. We're focused on the offense is, but even the defense for a defense that has, you know, some, some vets out there. There's so many communication issues. Like you watch this Bears game today. There's so much where the Bears are just putting a guy in motion, and you see the Vikings players looking at each other at the snap of the ball, and it's like, oof, that you don't want ever want to see that. Like once or twice a game it happens, but the fact that I could rewatch this game in five times, I believe on my count, just my hand count, that right at the snap of the ball, there's two guys looking at each other like, what, like what are we doing here? Which, oh man, that's not that's not what I was expecting out of this team. I know it's a new staff and everything, but I just thought it would be more of a more of a, a consistent team on offense and defense that were like, man, I wish their highs would be a little higher, but I thought the floor would be a little higher. What do you think about what the Bears offense looked like today? Because this is one of those games where I t- start to talk myself into it a little bit, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of am a little bit with this team. I mean, I'm never out on fields. I'm still buying stock on him. I'm sure we're going to talk about it on Thursday. I, I know been, you are. I want to table my that for conversation weeks. for a second. I mean, he had a he played well today. I mean, this is he the did. best game he's played all season. This is the best I think, game. I think it's by far. I mean, yep. the shot to Mooney is just an incredible catch, but that's also just yep. giving your guy a chance in that spot. They used a ton of empty today, and he mm-hmm. actually looked pretty good in it. Which is a good he sign. Had, he had 12 empty dropbacks, and he only had 29 dropbacks on the entire game. He was 6 of 10 for 108 yards. So it was 0.48 EPA per dropback out of empty, which is – that would be awesome. Justin Field – or just or excuse me, Josh Allen's leading the league at like 0.34 right now. So yeah. that just tells you how efficient that they were. And it wasn't just that one shot. I mean, they were using it consistently. And he was getting rid of the ball quickly. And when he wasn't getting rid of the ball quickly, he was taking off quickly. He was yes. de- decisive today in a yes. way that I think was – and Amir Smith-Marset, if he doesn't get that block in the back that – what I think oh, is a pretty a, cheapy block in the back. A highlight the Bears could run. Win this game. Yes. It's a highlight, yeah. like 40 yard touchdown run. Yeah. I know. And there's times too, like on third downs too, where Fields, that's the thing. I'm glad you said decisive. That's the, that's what's been my blemish with Fields. I can tell he's trying to do the right thing, but it's like, dude, you got to get through this checklist quicker. You yeah. got, hey, screw steps three and four. Just get through steps one and two. And I know he's trying, he's a smart player. You can tell he's intelligent, but he's got to speed it up. It's like, dude, quicken it up. And there's a, there's a couple times where he, like, he stepped up in the pocket, went one to two, and he hit it like a dig route with, like, as he's moving in the pocket. That is, those are the signs of progress. That, of course, the running stuff's amazing. And I, I'm glad you brought it up. Like you said, decisive. That's why the running looks so much better today than sometimes it does because he's going, okay, this is an opening. I'm going. As opposed to, he kind of likes to waver around a little bit <laughs> and find, and he's trying to be perfect on everything. And it's like, no, just, just do it. Make, if you make a mistake, make it fast. And today was like the, I, it looked, this is the most confident he looked, especially in the I pocket. agree with that. I he agree with that. confident today. And you saw it a little bit with the Giants game last week, but this was the most confident he looked this entire season, which is good. You want the arrow pointing up. Just little tiny things. There was a third and six with like six minutes left in the fourth quarter. They were an empty again. They did a good job today of chipping also out of yep. empty just to give more time. So they're making sure right, we're going to clear the picture up for him, but we're also gonna, not going to leave him hanging out to dry. Mm-hmm. And they chipped and then he hit Mooney on a little whip. 
And it was just like, he's, his eyes are going to the right places. He's moving quickly. He's being decisive. It's like, all right, this is the type of stuff I can get behind because this is not what their passing game has looked like for the most part this no. season. And, you know, the shots to Mooney, like that, that's obviously the highs, but just consistently good process down in and down out. Yep. This was much better than it's been. But we will have plenty of time this week to talk more about Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears offense for good or for bad. <laughs> We're going to take one more quick break here and then get to some stuff that disappointed us a little bit this week. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Man, we're still I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Nate, the Jags lost to the Texans today. Mm, yes, they, <laughs> they did. scored six points. Yes, they did. How are you feeling right now? A little, <laughs> little iffy. A little dicey. Uh, yeah, that was not a lot of fun. Five drops from the Jags. That was not a lot. There's a stupid third and 20 penalty. Uh, fourth and one with zero push. And my guy, Trevor Lawrence, decides to throw a pick in the end zone, uh, on a second and one from the, in the red zone where he could just walked it for a first down. Uh, so yeah, just feeling, uh, I couldn't believe they, this team that I thought would be fairly well coached was, uh, kind of kicked themselves a little, or kicked themselves in the nuts a little bit. <laughs> Went back and watched this game. And the stat that I came up with, which it feels right after you go back and watch that, Jags were 12th in EPA per play on plays between, excuse me, before they got to the 40-yard line. So from plays yeah. from their goal line to the opposing 40, they were 12th in EPA per play today. They yep. were 27th in EPA per play on on plays inside the Houston 40-yard line. I mean, they, they dominated this game in terms of oh, yeah. moving the ball. I mean, consistently. The Texans' best play in this game was a shot to Nico Collins down the left sideline. And then one crazy Damian Pierce run. They did not move yep. the ball that consistently. The Jags did. They just short-circuited every single time they got inside the 40. So yep. I don't know if this is cause for concern necessarily with Jacksonville. I just think this is one of those games where you shoot yourself in the foot every single time you get something going on offense. And those games are going to happen every once in a while. But it's undeniably frustrating, especially because they have a window here. Like there is, if no one else is good, this is a team I think that has a chance to be pretty good. And these sorts of games, it's like, man, that is just brutal. 400, they outcame the Texans 422 to 248 in this game. They averaged 5.8 yards per play to 4.4 for Houston. And still, they just come away empty. And that is, it's a rough one. That is rough to stomach. It was. And like you watch it. God, this was like watching Trevor Roll last year. You watch it and there's so many just brilliant throws and he's like, oh yeah, that's great. That's great. And then 
He just has his couple blemishes. God, he is like Matt Ryan. He had a couple weird choices today. He's like Matt Ryan in so many ways. It's actually not even, it's getting funny to, it's like comical how much they are like, how they just have those couple weird plays. Like, but this offense though, and if you look at his heat, the heat chart and just how it is, and I tweeted this, it's an offense that's built off long twos. It's a lot over the intermediate parts of the field. I get that. Lovey and the Texas defense did a lot more cover two. Lovey's kind of mixed it up a little bit this year, but a lot more cover two this week. And so you saw a lot of digs, a lot of benders. Those are hard throws. And this is why I like Trevor Lawrence because he's willing and able to throw those over and over and over. Awesome seaball thrower. He had like three or four today where it's just like, oh, goodness gracious. It's so fun. And it's like, I know. And like Evan Ingram's playing well, so I shouldn't knock him as much. But it's like he is throwing to... Marvin Jones and Evan Ingram and <laughs> not really the guy, Jamal Agnew, like those types of guys. But man, you just, and the screen game's good. The naked game's good. That's why it's like, I don't want to get too down on this, but it's, you see some of the blemishes with the roster a little bit. And this is what we had qualms with going into the year. Not a lot of outside guys and not a lot of speed down the field. Like Travis Etienne's their best juice guy. He's a running back. And, yeah. Agnew, Agnew and Etienne are all they got in terms of juice. And because yeah. they, the way Kirk, they use Kirk, that's just not how they use him. Right. And so it just right. kind of takes it away from him being in that role. But I mean, you look at it like the first time in the, the late in the first quarter when they were down near the goal line, he has James Robinson wide open in the flat on that play. And somehow, for whatever reason, he goes back over to the middle of the field. There was another on the fourth down where they tried to have Kirk working against Desmond King. Zay Jones is wide open if he just lets that develop. So there were three or four of those. And then just a mind boggling decision. On the Stingley interception. It's it like, just chuck it out of the back of the end zone, my man. Like, just yeah. live to play another down. You don't have to do that. And I think that it's just a reminder that even if, in the grand scheme of things, there aren't a lot of great teams, they're going to be competitive every single week and they could win the AFC North. This is still a second-year quarterback who didn't always play great last year. They right. don't have a ton of offensive weaponry. Juwan Taylor had a really rough holding call that torpedoed to drive. Like they still have a lot of flaws, even yeah. if they had some really nice moments over the first month of the season. They, he hides some blemishes, but there's still a lot there. <laughs> and that's what with him and also with the team around him. And that's what it looked like today. It's an incomplete team. Even if I'm optimistic with what they're doing, it's just still, there's a lot to be desired. You uh, get another another team. Oh my god, we could save us about twenty seven teams. What you just wish they were a little bit more consistent. <laughs> That's how the Jaguars play, especially on offense. And then even if Trevor if Trevor Walker doesn't get dinged for that personal yeah. foul, it was going to be like third and seventeen. The Jaguars could win this game. So, oh, yeah. but you still you, you just expect a little bit more of a, a complete performance against a Texans team that is deep deep in rebuilding mode. Right. All right, one more performance that I'm a little bit disappointed by. The Giants, or excuse me, the Lions got shut out by a team that was quarterbacked by Bailey Zappi today. Skunked. Skunked by them. I couldn't believe the score. It was, it was insane. The Lions had six drives in this game that at one point got inside the Patriots' 35-yard line, and they scored zero points. Some of that is because it was in the fourth quarter, and they're yeah. down by three or four scores already. They're going forward on fourth down. But they had drives early on where they're going forward on fourth down, or that was the fumble that got returned for a touchdown. It's like, yep. what is happening right now? The offense, some rough moments, the golf interception. I mean, I think offensively, st- you got outplayed up front, which is con- like a concern and That's just pretty weird. surprising. They got beat up a little bit. I mean, Judon had some really nice moments against Taylor Decker. Josh Uche had a couple really nice moments in this game, a couple really nice pass rush moments. Jack Jones 
I think is turning into a pretty nice player. He had the pick last week, and then the pick that he had down near the pylon in this game was a beautiful play. So yeah. credit to the the Patriots defense on that side. I'm most worried about a Lions offense that allowed Bailey Zappi to consistently move the ball. They could not pressure him. They, they could not pressure him this entire game. They had three pressures total over the course of the game. And Aiden Hutchinson's playing. Aleem McNeil is back. And they cannot get after anybody up front. They are dead last in defensive EPA. And even if we've talked about the lack of resources they've spent on that side of the ball, I mean, this is we're even if we have some good feelings about the Lions offense, they're now one and four and they have the worst defense in the NFL. The lack of ability to get after him in this game is what was most concerning. He finished fifth in EPA per dropback. Bailey Zappi did in this game. He was 17 of 21. Again, they had four pressures on 22 of his dropbacks. If you look at the actual next-gen stats, I believe Ali Connolly tweeted this out. They No Lions defender had an average of less than four yards of separation between them and Bailey Zappi in the, over the course of this game. And oh, the Patriots goodness. offensive line is fine, but that just yeah. can't happen. And no, for them to move the ball as consistently through the air as they did with a, a backup quarterback, a backup backup quarterback in there, yeah. it's pretty concerning if you're Detroit. Yeah, and you just want to see the signs of life. I, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's like we know the defense is their weak weak point, but it's also like just the difference too. It's like even when you watch – I know this is not fair to Jared Goff. I'm going to talk about the offense real quick. Is Jared Goff had a play. It was a third down. It was the first third down in the game. It's man coverage. He breaks contain and he's trying to outrace the the DB who's on the opposite side of the field to the marker. And then you remember, oh yeah, that's Jared Goff. That's not Josh Allen, Mahomes, you know, Herbert, yes. these guys. And you're like, that's the difference right there. That he didn't punish you all the way. And then they go for a fourth down. They don't get it. And so, yeah, he catches up to him. Of course, he has the interception as well. Um, but man, uh, God, and it's like the run game can be pretty, but that's the thing. It wasn't. That's what they've been lifted by this entire year because you're not going to live and die by golf and you're not going to live and die by your defense. And the fact that that was getting beat up, it's like that's where you see a, a performance where you get skunked in. And and this defense too, like even in the run game, it's okay. Finding a lot of DBs is hard and playing good pass coverage is pretty hard and, as well as finding a good pass rush. But usually you're hopefully you have one that's a sign of life. But how many times you saw like Stevenson for, for the Patriots – breaking like five tackles, like as he yeah. bursts through the line. It's like, oh, man, you guys are supposed to be kind of – even if you're not very talented on defense, you're supposed to be hard-nosed and kind of fundamentally sound. Yes. And you're just getting – In the right getting, spots. Yes. It's, it, it's one of those teams that I think last year I was more impressed with the way they were coached on the defensive end. They, yeah. The players weren't very good, but it's like, all right, they had some nice moments. I could see this moving forward in a positive direction, and that just didn't happen. And I know they lose Okuda at some point during this game, and they're banged up on the back end, all of that. But still, this just shouldn't happen against a third-string quarterback, and it's no. definitely cause for concern with the way that they've played on that side of the ball. Especially when you see some of those floaters coming out. It's like, how are you guys not? Oh, my God. Balls, it's incredible. Balls floating out. You're watching on the TV copy, and the fl- ball's floating out. And you're like, oh, that's going to get knocked down. And there's a guy catching it wide open. And you're like, how? How do you guys, even if you're not getting there right away, how do you guys not recover in time? So, yeah, that it was. it's a, it's just a reminder. And we keep saying this when we talk about the Lions, and I hate to kind of beat over the drum. They were expected to win six games this year, and we this were excited is- and that's exactly right. But we need we need exciting teams. Know, We're we so do. desperate for teams that so are like desperate. mildly exciting that when the Jags have this type of game against the Texans and the Lions get blanked by Bailey Zappi and company, we're like, God damn it. Like no I one. We, I just need a little bit of excitement. 
I'm upset by the Jags. I really am by today's game because it was like, just even if win 13-10 or something like that, just win. Just chalk one up for the W column so we can talk about a different game. But I know. I, I, that's the thing. It's like, we're oh, okay, we got the Lions off into line. They're, they they kick ass and then they get beat up a little bit. And it's just like, oh, no, come on. <laughs> like, this is something that we were latching onto. Now that's getting loose too. But yeah, no, it's, it, it is really just – just that's how this league is right now. Just every even the stuff we get excited about, they just knock us back down week in, week out. One more thing I'm disappointed in, and it's no fault of their own. I'm pretty bummed that the Niners defense is falling apart. Oh, I'm pretty know, bummed about it. Bosa goes down, Emmanuel Mosley tears his ACL today. Jimmy Warren has a broken hand. Eric Armstead is already missing some time. We talked about it on Thursday's show. The Niners defense is one of my my favorite thing to watch in the NFL right now is when it they're is. playing. And they just, as a unit, they're terrifying. Like the mindset that they play with is incredible to watch. And then all those guys start getting hurt. It's like we cannot have nice things, and I'm getting really frustrated about it. We just can't talk about any of them now. It's like, oh, how about that Lions run game? And it's poof. <laughs> Look at Trevor Lawrence coming together. Poof. Just <laughs> every week, we just can't have a Thursday show where we talk about anything. We're just going to just talk about like, ooh, what's the spread? That's all we're going to talk about now. All right, a couple of things I wanted to hit before we get out of here. We had some pretty controversial calls in the back half of those early games. First one, the roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett is on the podium for the worst calls I've ever seen in an NFL game. It, it's yes. because when you watch the replay, he holds him up as he's bringing him down. It, he, the The way he finished Couldn't the play was – I tweeted this. It was almost gentle, and they gave him the 15-yarder. And I'm not saying that – the Falcons would win the game or all that yeah. because in the previous play, there's a pass interference penalty that should get called. For the most part, this stuff comes out in the wash. I- yeah. I'm just absolutely disgusted that we've gotten to a place where that is a roughing the passer call in an NFL game. And that's what happens when you have a, a ref that's 67 years old making these decisions. And that's something that should be – there should be an age cap on this. My parents are in their early 60s. I wouldn't trust them roughing a game, even though they know all the rules. <laughs> are you kidding me? But uh, I couldn't believe it. And, and he doubled down on it. Of course, you have to. But he was just like, oh, yeah, he forcibly threw him to the ground. And it's like, come on. Come on. I actually loved what uh, – I think it was on Fox, that game. But whatever – they showed a replay of all the times Tom Brady got hit that game. And you could just see it. They're like, that wasn't a penalty. That wasn't a penalty. That wasn't a penalty. Like, they're even just commentating on it. And then all of a sudden, just boom, they show that one with Grady Jarrett. It was, it, it, it's so, like, just, like, just he unmalicious. That's all he did. That's all he, he did just was rolled, tackle him. And he rolled. He, he just rolled. Him. That's it. There was no jerk. There was no alligator J.J. Watt twist. There was nothing. He just got a twist, pulled around, and dropped him on his on his keister. Like, what the hell? I know. I couldn't believe that. I, and like you said, it's not like the – we don't know what the Falcons would do, They especially if they have to drop back and pass all those times to win this game. But still, give them a freaking chance, especially, when, especially in that kind of moment of the game. Another pretty controversial call that happened today. The Chargers going for it on fourth and one. From essentially their own 30-yard line where if they don't get it, they've given the ball back to the Browns in field goal range. There's been a lot of discourse about this already. (laughs) Shockingly, considering it's Brandon Staley and the Chargers going for it on fourth down. People, there is a contingent of people that think he should be fired for even making the decision. There is a contingent of people who think that it was a no-brainer that with the way the game was going, you go Mm -hmm. for it on fourth and one. The math says that you go for it. I fall very much in the middle of those two camps because it was not fourth and one. It was fourth and 1.7. When you go yeah. back and watch it, it was closer to two yards than it was to one yard. It was. It, in the in the overall flow of the game, 
neither of these teams has been able to stop each other at all. So if you don't want to give the Browns the ball back and it's fourth and one, run the ball. If you can have the option to run it and that's part of the chance to make the conversion, I think it becomes a no-brainer. The 1.7 and it being almost two yards, I think puts it up for a debate. I have no problem with it going either way. But this idea that it was, look at the math, it was one yard, how you absolutely should go for that. It was not one yard. And, and I think that that needs to be brought into discussion because it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, it's every situation is different. And I know we want to cut and dry it as much as we can. Like we want to put it on the prime vision on Thursday nights. And it's like, oh, third one, go. Third two, go. You know, all that. But I mean, but also you got to take into consideration what you're calling. Like, ugh, I can't wait. Uh, this is just uh, just weekly at this point talking about Joe Lombardi's play design. But they're going to go on fourth and I'm going to call fourth and two. That That's I wrote down on my notes as fourth and two. They ran slant flats with double flat or double slants on the other side, which is a day one install play for every offense in, in America. Um, cop out play to me because that's like, Hey, quarterback, make us right. Just, you know, find it, pick a read. You know, you're not saying it's a progression read and we have a perfect design. The thing was they had a third and two earlier in the game. They went third and two and then they went fourth and two and didn't get it. That third and two, you know what play they called? Slant flat with double slants on the same side. They called the exact same play. And then they went fourth and two, and guess what they called? Stick. Because, of course, they did. And um, he ch- he took the one-on-one to the X's side. I think it was Mike Williams. But, again, it's you've got to take that into consideration as well. It's like, do we trust what we're going to call here, even though we have a superhuman at quarterback? But that's another part of like the equation that you have to put together. I – I don't know. I'm, I'm aggressive. Like I, 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 I'm kind of always been like that. Hey, let's put it in our guys' hands rather than cross our fingers and hope, you know, that miss the kick or that we can hold them and all that. They weren't stopping them like pass game or run game. They weren't. So I kind of get it. So I, I'm always going to be siding with the aggressive side, but you always just got to take in consideration. Do I trust my offense coordinator's, uh, call, uh, play call here on fourth and two? Because if he showed the exact same play on third and two that they stopped, and we didn't even run it right because the running back didn't go to the right side on that third and two. Ugh, that's not exactly what I want him to repeat as his play call. That's a situation where typically I'm always down to go for it. And I'm always supportive yeah. of making the aggressive call in that moment. When they went for it, I was like, I think I just would have punted it. Because if you don't get it, you almost lose the game. If you don't get right. it, they have a chance. They get the ball in field goal range. Ultimately, it didn't work out. And I think that, you know, I totally understand him wanting to go for it. That's yeah. just one of those where, like, in my gut, I was like, I can't believe they're going for this. Because if right. you don't get it, the game is probably over. And then it wasn't. There was another decision in this game, though. The Browns had the ball in their own 30 when they were down in the second half. And they went forward on fourth and one, and they didn't get it. That, to me, was almost a worse moment because you have a guy who is the king of quarterback sneaks, and you need six inches and yep. they ended up handing the ball off and not getting it. That one was the way more pole. frustrating to me than the Staley one was. No, that's a great call with the sneak stuff too, because they did they did uh they have Batonio on the long pole, which yes. is a great play. I like it. That it's one of their best plays. But not on fourth and one, pulling pulling people a lot more can go wrong. Because especially in short yards, because stuff a lot of stuff happens fast, and one guy doesn't step down as we saw in this play. So like that was kind of another thing. You gotta take plays and what what we're calling in these situations. Do we really love this play? Is this like, man, we're getting this one every week. So when you're breaking down short yardage every week, somebody's in charge of it. And you put together a menu, usually three, five plays, 
couple runs, couple passes. And then you kind of know, like, oh, I don't really like our short yardage plan. Like when you play the Patriots, goal line was really tough and short yardage is really tough. And you're like, man, I don't really like our short yardage menu. Hopefully we can get more third and mediums or get the first downs on second, uh, on second down than have to face these th- short yardage. So you kind of know. So if it's like, man, I know this, this is a 90 percenter. We love this play because they're going to do this, this and this. Okay. You kind of know, but that's another thing they have to take in consideration when you call these plays. And I don't know, having a long pulling power play, it was not my favorite on fourth and one. <laughs> Where are you at on both of these teams? Oh my God. This is a wild game. Do you, some of the numbers in this game are absolutely insane. The chargers in this game generated 10.1 EPA on the ground. 10.1. For some context, there were only two teams that had generated that much EPA total on the ground in the first four games of the year. They did it That's in one insane. game against this Browns team. And the Browns, the, these two teams combined, combined, they combined for 451 yards on the ground. <laughs> Between them, they averaged 6.9 yards per carry. It, it just, I don't know what to make of either of these teams because the Browns, yeah. I think, are really well coached and they're off the design on offense is really really good they are consistently moving the ball against everybody they play their defense is not good and mm-hmm. i thought that their defense would be good they had guys back today Clowney was back today yep. garrett was back today they're getting run on left and right they traded for Deion jones after this game ended right? because apparently they need some help in the middle of their defense the browns are 26th in epa per play on defense this season with all of the guys they have on that side of the ball they're just such a strange version of this team. I just never imagined that they would be a borderline top five offense over the first five weeks and they wouldn't be able to stop anybody. And the Not, Chargers, uh, we've talked so much about yeah. their highs and lows and, and why we're both simultaneously frustrated and excited about them. I mean, I think both of these teams are going to be competitive over the course of the year, but going back to the way we started the show where everyone has these flaws that are impossible to get out of your mind, that how that's how it feels with both of these right now. Yeah. Like the Browns are light in the pants on purpose, like on defense. Like they, they yes. want to, they're, they're kind of a speed first defense. That's what they want to build, but at least cover somebody. Like if yeah. you're, if you're going to, if you're built that way and I get it being a modern defense, Hey, let's stop the pass first. And okay, we'll, we'll eat, you know, get hit, kicked in the teeth a couple times in a run game, but you got to have some strength on your defense. It just seems to me that's like, okay, we're not covering anybody. There's so many, there's so many open players in this passing game. And it's not like the Chargers have really been setting the world on fire on offense. I mean, they have, but they haven't. It's again, it's like we're frustrated and excited at the same time with them. But then you see this run game. We kind of figured that the run game would be a little dicey, especially after that Falcons game last week. But like you said, Garrett and Clowney are back. So at least we're the big plays on your defense. And that's it's just weird. It's it's yeah, I don't know. They're just very disappointing, especially on the defensive side. As much as I like what they're doing on offense, even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, they're doing nice things on offense. So it's like, okay, this defense will be at least league average, but they're not. They're not really doing much. And that's kind of weird. That's very weird. And Chargers, I, we've spilled enough digital verbal ink on <laughs> with the Chargers but and everything. Both of that these teams, doing. I feel like, could beat anybody any given week. Because exactly. of the way that their offenses can play, even if we're seriously they, concerned they about the sum state of their up defense. this season perfectly. Yes. They, they uh, this have a game in these teams, I totally agree. A lot of cool parts and then a lot of blemishes that we just, it's hard to look past. All right. We're going to talk about some guys that we noticed today, and then we're going to get out of here. Can you see me now? Can you see me now? Very quickly. Uh, we're going to talk about this game in depth tomorrow on the Monday Hangover with me and Deontay. I want to talk about the Jets rookies 
as guys that we saw them in this game. Brees Hall had a huge game. Sauce Gardner had a pick. I want to go back and really dig into that. I kind of mentally checked out when Skylar Thompson went into that game. It's like backup quarterback, but it was impossible not to catch some of those really nice moments from those guys in the Jets. So I want to dig into that tomorrow and really chat about where the Jets are and who's playing well for them. But just even at first glance, those guys stood out to me today. Yeah, it was kind of a... A funny thing that Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley both got picks today, interceptions yeah. today, because man, they're both good as rookies, like which is insane. Uh, we we've talked about on this show when somebody's just showing signs of life at corner as a rookie, it's a good sign. These guys haven't even hit their bye week, and they already look like good starters. Sauces, Sauce rocks. Like he is a fun player. Like he is. <laughs> his nickname's Sauce. Like so, yeah. he, he's gonna have some. He's gonna have some swagger to him, and he plays like that. He's not only long; he's super tough. I mean, the, the hit on Teddy. Like that's how he plays. He's a very competitive dude. Um, week one against the Ravens, there was a cool play where he communicates. Uh, uh, kind of like a theme of this pod is talking about DB communication and defense communication. Watching a rookie corner in his first game telling vets how to pass this off in the middle of the play. And like and it was a play in the red zone. He knocks the ball away. Awesome. That was week one as a starter uh, in the NFL as a corner, which is ridiculous. And then he's going one-on-one a couple of weeks later against Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and more than holding his own, winning one-on-one battles, extended plays, go balls. He's awesome. He's such a cool player. I really like Brees Hall. He was my running back one coming into this class, uh, Iowa State. Really smooth runner. And this was the first game I could really see him. He's always under control. But another player that was more decisive, uh, uh, we talked about Justin Fields, same thing with Brees Hall. This was the first one I could see him really playing his foot, and he's like, screw it, I'm getting north, which is good. And, and him and Michael Carter are such a fun pairing. Really like both of those backs. So really cool to see both of those guys. And having him talk about Garrett Wilson, who does a lot of fun stuff with the ball in his hands. Yeah, I'll be excited to dig into that game tomorrow. We'll talk about that with Deontay. We'll talk about, I think, three other games tomorrow. We didn't hit Titans and Washington at all today. We'll chat about that. Seahawks. And the Saints, we'll chat about that game. So a lot of stuff to do on the Monday Hangover with me and Deontay. In the meantime, if you guys could subscribe to the YouTube channel, if you're watching this, you could easily do that. If you are listening to the show over the course of the week, the YouTube link should be in the description of the podcast. You can go click on that. Follow us on YouTube. We're doing our Thursday recap shows on YouTube only. So that is the only place that you can watch that. It's where you can watch Wind the Clock, which is Nate's new X's and O's video series that we're doing. Highly encourage you guys to do that. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. And if you could, you guys have been doing a really good job of this, and I sincerely appreciate it. If you like the show, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Go tell us you like the show. It would mean a lot. It does really help us out. So please do that. I would really appreciate it. Really appreciate you guys listening, spending the time with us tonight. We'll be back with Deontay at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Until then, I appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.